You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Now, as we have seen already, this third chapter opens with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah a second time. We saw that uh, two weeks ago, and uh, you remember we looked at how this was such a tremendous sign of the grace of God. God had said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said no. Jonah went in the opposite direction, but God wouldn't take no for an answer, and God went after him. God sent a wind after him when he got on the boat, and, and uh, when he was thrown into the sea, God sent a fish after him, and God went after him. And then, amazingly, amazingly, the word of the Lord came to, God, to, to Jacob or to Jonah a second time. And, and I want to just dwell on verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3 uh, this afternoon. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went. To Nineveh. And I just simply want to draw some lessons from this. And, and the first is this, that we need to learn the lesson that when God said go, he meant it. It seems a very simple thing, doesn't it? When God said go, he meant it. And Jonah found out that God meant it. Because after the first time God said go and Jonah tried to run away, God came after him and God hounded him down, if you like. And so Jonah, of all people, knew that God meant it now. God meant it. He went to such trouble, sent a fish for him to bring him back. And to receive this instruction again, go, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, I, I think there's a lesson for the church today. And when I say the church, I mean the church universal. I don't mean our denomination. Yes, our denomination, with all the other denominations, Christian denominations. Here's a word for the church universal. And I believe there are many in the church universal, including our church, who have grieved the Holy Spirit by not doing those things that he has plainly told them to do. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is full of commands. They're clear commands as clear as crystal. They're not commands that are difficult to understand. There's no ambiguity about them. And yet, the people of God ignore or are half-hearted in carrying out these commands. I want to mention just a couple. Here's one from, from uh, Hebrews chapter 10. The writer to the Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Here's what he says. Listen to this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, 
but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, that's a word for you, and it's a word for me. It's a word for us in our day and generation. It was a word for the people in the day of the writer to the Hebrews. Do you notice what he says? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In his day, there were some who had given up the habit of meeting together. Had given up the habit of meeting together. Now, this is where I speak to absent friends, because you're here. You haven't given up the habit of meeting together. But unless Union Road is different from every other congregation in the country, and I don't mean just Presbyterians, there are loads of people who used to come to church before the pandemic and now don't come. They've given up the habit of meeting together. And I'm talking about believers have given up the habit of meeting together. Now, if you're a communicant member of this congregation, then there was a time that you stood and made vows before God. And you vowed that you would attend the services of worship. That you would attend the prayer meetings. It's not just a Sunday morning, a Sunday evening, and a Thursday night, as it is in your case. Those are vows you made before God. Here's a command. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And you know, there's nothing encourages believers more than meeting with other believers. And the more you meet with, the more you're encouraged. Is that not right? I mean, how often have you turned up maybe at a, at a prayer meeting and there's only a handful of people there and you're discouraged? Or an evening service, a handful of people, you're discouraged. It says, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And it's a capital D day. It's the day when the Lord returns. All the more as you see it approaching. And when the writer to the Hebrews wrote that, that's, that's a long time ago. Well, we're a lot closer to that day approaching now. And, and you just have to look at what's going on in the world to see that that day is fast, fast approaching. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's a command to encourage one another. Do we do that? You know, take time and I, I, to talk to, to fellow believers about the things of God, not just about the weather. And the weather's lovely. Not just about the football, whether your team's doing good or bad but about the things that really, really matter. You know, to come alongside a fellow believer and say, tell me, how are you doing? And not the way we would normally, you know, about you. What about you? But how are you really doing? How are things going? Is there anything, is there anything that I can pray for you about? That, that's, that's a command. We're to do that. The church, the people of God, 
are to do that. Here's another one that many Christians have not taken seriously. The Great Commission. It's a command. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I'm delighted when I come here and I hear your interest in mission. And the last time I was here, it was about the uh, missionary convention in Bangor. And the interest that you take in that, that is marvelous. That is marvelous. But sadly, not every church is like that. Sadly, I, I had the privilege of, uh, uh, whenever I was a member in First Antrim, and Mr. Blackstock had to leave because of ill health. The church was too big. He had to go to a smaller congregation. And John Dixon came to be our minister. And, I mean, he just came in like a whirlwind. Uh, and to this like John Dixon's now 78, and he still plays squash twice a week. And I would not like to be in a court with him. He's still a whirlwind. But the thing that impressed me most about this man, as I sat in session with him, was his passion for mission. His passion for worldwide mission. And, and I had the opportunity to speak to him just a few weeks ago and say to him how much I was thankful to God for him for the things he taught me. Now, he didn't set out to teach me these things, but as I observed him in session, how he motivated the session and how he motivated the congregation to take a real interest in mission so that we weren't using missionaries, you know, as program fillers for a midweek meeting. And, and we'd have them maybe once every two or three years, and when they come back, we hardly remembered what they looked like. No, we, we, we chose a specific group of people that we were going to support, pray for them every week, give to them properly, be involved, actually go and visit them wherever they were serving the Lord. And that was something, because I saw that up close and saw the effect it had on the church, that by the grace of God I was able to introduce to all three congregations that I served to see the people of God motivated as they obeyed this command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, now people can use any, every kind of excuse from their family circumstances, whatever. But we can never use any of those things to contradict the clear command of the word of God. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, when God when God said go, he meant it. He meant it. And when he says to you and me, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he meant it. And, and you see, if we don't obey that, he may set us aside and, and use others to save his elect. And, and you see, you may not be called to go to the other side of the world. You may only be called to go to the other side of the room. In your own home. Or, or to go across the office to speak to someone that, that you can see is, is going through a hard time over some issue. There's an opportunity to go to that person and share the good news of Jesus with them. 
You see, when, when God's people are reluctant to do that, God, God's, God doesn't stop doing his work. So, sometimes he'll use others whose theology we may not agree with. It, it may be embarrassing for, for many of us to see that God can use a crooked stick to draw a straight line. He has used many to save his elect, whose methods that we maybe wouldn't be too happy with. But God has used them, and we should be thankful that God can do that. But here we are, privileged as we are, to, to know the Reformed faith to realize what God has done in all his sovereignty and reaching out to lost men and women. And here we are, and we have the truth. And, and it ought to be us that God is using. And the Lord has said to us, go. And just like Jonah, many in the church have said, no. No. There's a lesson here, brothers and sisters. God takes the Great Commission seriously. He takes that seriously. And I'll tell you something else. He blesses those who also take it seriously. He blesses those who also take it seriously. And you know that because you're a congregation who do take it seriously. And you want for nothing even though you may have to give out of your substance and it goes out of the congregation, you never lose out. That's never a cost. That's an investment in the work of God. But of course we could do more, couldn't we? There's none of us would ever say we've done enough. We could do more. So that's the first thing. When God said go, he meant it. The second thing I want you to notice here is not only are God's orders the same, go to Nineveh, but so is the method. Look at verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, God could have decided to save men and women by different means, but he didn't. God has decreed that men will be saved by preaching. Sometimes it's foolish preaching, I'll grant you, and, and that's not what he really wants. He works through the foolishness of preaching, which is different. But God can even use foolish preaching. We who pride ourselves in our orthodoxy don't like to think perhaps God would do that, but he does. In any case, the method is the same. And if ever God visits us again in revival, he'll do it through the preached word. And, and maybe, maybe you're sitting here thinking to yourself, well, I'm, I'm glad, you know, to hear what you're saying because I like good preaching. Uh, I'll just come and listen to good preaching. But no, it goes beyond that. It's preaching stroke proclaiming. Go and proclaim. It's something you are to do if you're a believer. You're to do that. You're to be involved in that. Proclaiming is every Christian's business. 
Let me ask you a question. When did you last point a person to Christ? I'm not talking here to a new believer now. If you're a, a Christian for any length of time, when did you last point someone to Christ? Let me ask you a more fundamental question. When did you last attempt to do that? As I say, you know, we can talk about anything. We can talk about the biggest load of nonsense. And I, and I, I hear people saying, oh, I could never do that. I, I'm not very good talking. Well, give them a phone and see if they can't talk. We all can talk. But what are we talking about? You know, the early Christians went about, they gossiped the gospel as they went. They were, because of persecution, they were spread all over the place, but they gossiped the gospel. They, they couldn't help themselves. They talked about the Lord all the time. They talked about him. Maybe, maybe you say to me, I witness with my life. Well, God could have sent Jonah to Nineveh and told him, go and walk godly before them all. But he didn't. He said, go and proclaim. Go and proclaim. You're to give the word. Fellow believer, you ought to be so equipped that you're able to talk to anybody. You ought to know the gospel so well that you can share it with anyone that you meet. Whether you sit beside them on a bus or in the train or meet them in a shop. You don't have to be a great orator. You don't need a degree in theology. You need to take some time and learn to tell the good news in your own way. You might have to commit two or three verses of Scripture to memory. Well, that'll do you good. That's a good thing to do, to commit to memory verses. But learn to share the gospel. Learn to ask questions. You know, if you get into a conversation with someone, like basic questions, can I ask you, why do you think you're here? Why do you think you're on this earth? Well, people can't give a yes or no answer to that. Why questions are great answers, great questions to ask. They can't say yes or no. Tell me this, where do you think you're going. Where are you going? Those are big questions, and, and it opens up a whole a conversation. Or, you know, I maybe said this to you before, look, these are great days of opportunity. Ask someone, look, what do you think of the state of the world at the minute? It's, it's, it's awful. Everybody sees it's awful. Why do you think that is? And, and of course, it's not just the world, is it? The province, the community, the family. Why is your own life in such turmoil? What is the reason? What lies behind it all? And you can talk to them about sin. And, you know, 
Sometimes people say, oh, they don't see it as a big issue. Well, just say to them, well, tell, tell me this. Do you think you could live for, for 24 hours without sinning? And of course they couldn't. And, you know, I remember talking to Owen Patterson. He's the minister in Down Patrick, Billy Patterson's son. He came and spoke to our midweek one night. And uh, he was having a conversation with someone that was having difficulty over thinking that they were a sinner. And, and he said, and I'm sure you've heard this before, he said, they asked him a question. He says, tell me this, have you ever told a lie? And the man said, oh, I, I have told a lie. Oh, yes, I'm sure I have. What do you call someone that tells lies? A liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Ach, not really, no. When I was a wee boy, I maybe took some money out of my mummy's purse. What do you call someone that steals? A thief. Tell me this, he says. Have you ever lusted after someone of the opposite sex? Sure, everybody has done that. Everybody has done that. He says, do you know what Jesus called someone who lusted after someone else? He called him an adulterer. Now, he says, you've admitted to, be a, to being a lying, thieving adulterer. You still think you're not a sinner? Now, look, I'm just saying, these are conversation starters things that really, really matter. And then when you talk about sin, you can lead on to, well, you know, are we just bound to go on like that? Is there no remedy? Yes, here's the good news. There's a remedy in the person of the Lord Jesus. This is why he came. He came to deal with our sin. He came to take the punishment that, that we should have had. And, and talk about God. Who, what is God like? He's holy. He's just. He must punish sin. So either he'll punish the sinner or he'll punish the sinner's substitute. Jesus is the sinner. You know, you could do this. Open your mouth and start, and I promise you God will fill it. I promise you he will. It's something we need to do. God is serious about this matter of proclaiming good news to every creature. The method is the same. People are not going to be saved until they're told. How can they hear without a preacher? Third and last thing is that God only owns one kind of preaching, and that is the preaching that is given. What does it say? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. The message I give you. You know, one of, one, of the, one of the great pressures that preachers come under is when they're in the study and they're preparing a message. Now, it's different when you're retired and you're going from place to place. It's much, much easier then because you don't know anybody. But when you're in a place for years, and you know the people, and, and they've become your friends. 
You've been with them when they've been sick. You've been with them when they've had bereavements. And you've sat beside them. And you're preparing a passage and you're looking at the application. And you're thinking, oh my. If I say this, this is going to really hurt. This is going to hurt. And you see, the Word of God is like a two-edged sword. It cuts to the quick, doesn't it? And that's where, where the pressure comes on. You know, what, what can it... Well, you have to say it. You have to say it. Because it's a word that is given. And you've got to be courageous. You're not there to propagate your own view, but what God says. Sadly, the modern church, and again I'm talking about the church universal, seems intimidated by the spirit of this age. We seem reluctant to acknowledge that we actually believe the Bible to be the very word of God. We seem reluctant to admit that. Afraid to admit to some intelligent men, yes, I believe in the simplicity of the gospel. I even believe in the book of Genesis. I believe in the account of creation. Seems to me the church has wanted to be respectable, to be clever, to be contemporary, to fit in. And the results, the church has gone into rapid decline. Poor attendances, churches closing, few getting saved. Surely a sign that God is not blessing, that there is something profoundly wrong. <clears throat> All God's people are made for the times that they live in. The problem is that the church has been swallowed up by the spirit of this age. We are not setting the trend. We're following the trend. The church is not to be like that. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What was salt used for? Seasoning for for preserving so it was rubbed into meat to stop it from going rotten. And Christians are called to be seasoning in society to stop it going rotten. We're called to be light in this dark world. But we're not seasoning government nor society. We're not giving a clear light to the world. Who today would ask the church for advice? Can you blame our government? Because the church has seemed to be just following, following the trends. Jonah was a man for the times. He was made for the times. God selected him to do a work that no one else could do. And if you're his child, if you're a child of God, I tell you, he has something for you that only you can do. So don't be afraid. When God says go, when God calls, he also equips. Wonder you believe that. At the beginning of this service, there was an appeal made for help in the crash and, and other aspects of the work for leaders. Did any of you hear that? Did any of you think, Lord, that's maybe a job I could do. Or did any of you think, the Lord is speaking to me here, but I don't think I could do that. 
Let me tell you, if God is calling you to do it, he will equip you. I can tell you that for a fact. When God calls us to do something, he doesn't ask us to do what we can't do. His commands are not grievous, 1 John 5 verse 3. Whatever he asks us to do, he gives us the grace to do. I was called by God as a teenager. As soon after I was converted, I became aware, although it seemed unbelievable to me, aware that God was calling me to the ministry. I could never envisage myself standing up in front of anybody to say anything about anything. And yet here I am. By the grace of God, when God calls, God equips. Jonah learned this. I suspect that when the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time to go to Nineveh, it was the happiest journey he ever made in his life. After, after me denying him, after me, me refusing him, that he come back and ask me again, I've got the opportunity to do this now. wonder, am I speaking to anyone here just as we close? Am I speaking to someone and you've been running? You've been running from God. God the Holy Spirit has been putting his hand upon you and and challenging you about something he wants you to do. Only you can do it. And you've been afraid. And sadly, it's been a paralyzing fear. Could God be asking you to do something for him that only you can do? You know, I can't imagine a more miserable situation than consciously to be out of the will of God. That's not a happy place to be. Much better to respond to whatever he's asking you to do in fear and trembling and thinking, Lord, I just don't know how I could do this, but you want me to do it? I'm, I'm going to do it. Trust him. Trust him. He will give you the power to do what he wants you to do. Listen, I would argue, in spite of the fact, in spite of the fact that this is a difficult time for Christians, you know, they're, they're coming more and more under, under pressure. I, I believe it's a great time to be alive. It's a great time to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Because the lines have become far clearer now between saved and unsaved. They're not as blurred as they used to be. God told us that we are made for the times. We are made for this time, this day and generation. Just as Jonah was for his. And here's the thing. In spite of all the trouble, Jonah eventually was obedient. Do you see it there? Verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Have you? Have you obeyed the word of the Lord that he has for you, that he wants you to do? Have you obeyed it? Jonah arose and went. Will you?
Let's pray.